Welcome to the Foxy Podcast. My monthly show brought to you by Freeform Freakout. The show is produced at KMSU Studios in Mankato, Minnesota. And here on the Foxy Podcast, we try to dig deeper into underground and experimental sounds of the past and present. And welcome to episode number 116 of the Foxy Podcast show. Hope you're all doing well out there, wherever you're listening from. Behind me right now, you're hearing the track Piano Goop from Seth Graham's tape release Goop that initially came out on Numinal Loom back in 2014 and was later reissued by Orange Milk Records a few years later. Graham, along with his close friend and collaborator Keith Rankin, have been running the Orange Milk label for roughly the past eight years. In fact, I did a feature show on the label with Keith back in July of 2012. And since then, the label has firmly established itself as one of the primo go-to sources of boundary-pushing electronic music from around the globe, a label that strikes an interesting balance between oddball dance floor permutations and playful, exuberant experimentation. Seth's own music, first under the alias Henry Dawson, and now under his given name, not to mention his duo Cream Juice with Rankin, has contributed greatly to the label's identity, and his recent releases, though, have found him venturing further afield into areas of modern classical composition and music concrete. Several years in the making, his latest effort, entitled Gasp, came out this week on Orange Milk, and is arguably Graham's strongest work to date, an album of considerable sonic depth and detail. Seth was recently traveling through Minnesota while on tour, something he'll be doing quite a bit of in the months ahead. He was kind enough to stop by the KMSU studios here in Mankato to talk with me about his new album and other things happening in and around the Orange Milk orbit. Basically hung out, talked about music, talked about the finer points of, yes, tapioca and cottage cheese. We played a bunch of tracks from his new album and from more recent Orange Milk titles. Before we get to all of that, I thought I'd play at least a couple more tracks from Seth's back catalog. So here's something from his last release, number zero in Clean Life. This is a track called Fate in the Key of Raspberry.
We're here in the studio with Seth Graham, who is passing through town en route to Minneapolis, doing a little bit of a, I guess, a mini tour. You're kind of doing these little jaunts, like week-long stints, and then yeah. going back. Is it, you go for a week, go home and regroup, go for a week? Is that your uh, touring uh, philosophy or tactic, or is this just a new venture for you? Um, It's, I don't know. I wouldn't say it. Uh, I was encouraged to tour by the PR place that's doing my record and so I was like I don't want to tour and I don't want to ask people to book me shows on Mondays and Tuesdays that's like <laughs> a bummer so right right so I just decided you know what I'm just gonna do a bunch of weekends because I work and go to grad school right so I was like I'm just gonna do a bunch of weekends and that way when you ask promoters like hey can you book me a show on a Friday they're always way more open right. to it and I was correct about that but I'm I don't know if I'm already regretting it because a tour, you get it all over with, but this is going to go on for me almost all the way to June. I don't play yeah. every weekend, but I'm playing a lot. And even on that flyer I posted, that's just up to April. Right, right. I have a bunch in May. And then now some are stacking up in, well, tour is stacking up in June with Keith. And then I'm already getting things in July. So, yeah, this anyway. is kind of new for you because, I mean, I know you've done a lot of one-off stuff here and there, but you've never really been a touring artist per se. No, I don't. I don't. I'm not against it. I'm just not like super. It's like my style of music is not necessarily conducive to like even like I'm excited to play tomorrow and I like playing for anyone who wants to hear. But at the same time, when you play like a noise show or a hardcore show and then you play my music, it's like it's. I wouldn't say it's a hard sell, but you just don't know what's going to happen. And you put right. all that work into it, all that travel, and then you if it flops, like I'm really like a fragile <laughs> soul. So I'm like devastated a little bit. <laughs> right. No, that's understandable. And so, yeah. Time. So I don't know. But uh, I just thought, you know, I'm going to try weekends instead of just a tour because I just couldn't afford to tour and then just because of school and work. But we'll see how this goes. But it's, yeah, it's end up i mean in a good way if people are asking me to play shows that's why they're all stacking up and i'm getting invited everywhere which is really like flattering and um is, is it the type of environments that you're looking forward to i mean more listening oriented spaces versus i don't know, bar i mean i yeah not that bars would you're be. it's 
I, I will always wanted to avoid that because what you're saying is 100% true, but I'm just like the dichotomy of there's part of me that f- there's like a, this blue collar side of me that's like, I don't want to be that artist as I'm only going to play at a gallery. Right. Or, you know, I will play anywhere in some sense, but I'm changing like just through logic in that I put so much work into the sound itself. Mm-hmm. Like if I play somewhere with a bad PA, it's devastating to the right. set. And like that, even even if I play really well, it will sound bad, and then you can't win that victory. Whereas a band can overcome that sure, because yeah. of the different frequencies that they have their own amps mm-hmm. and all that stuff. So you know, other friends have said tour with a PA. But I was just so going to ask, do you do you bring your own PA or not? So I regret that, so but you're no, at the I mercy don't. Of I'm at the mercy of wherever I show up, but yeah. I guess I should. But at the same time, I I'm, I like to travel light, so and yeah. I can't afford a really good PA right now, so. So hopefully, <laughs> hopefully you don't show up at a space and you're like, yeah, man, you're just going to plug into this guitar amp. That's happened yeah. before, and I <laughs> was like, uh, I can't do that. And that's really awkward because you don't want to decline to play, but you know, you're just like, it's going to sound horrible, and it's not representative of the work I put in. Right. Because so, when you listen to these records, I mean, there is a great deal of detail. There's so um, much detail. You know, and, and the frequency range is really wide, and it needs to be able to handle that range. Right. You can't, you know, bad PA can't do it. So. What What is your live setup i mean are you playing just a, a laptop or are you introducing other electronics into the mix i here? just use a ableton push 2 i don't know if you're familiar it's i wouldn't i would argue it's semi-common like ableton is like some people even claim ableton's like the new guitar yeah you know yeah. but um i just use the ableton push 2 and what i do is i mix um some vsts and midi in the ableton 2 is just a midi controller it's basically an insanely powerful sampler, mm-hmm. and I run it through a really, you know, um, high capacity computer or laptop, and then um, I I deconstruct a lot of my songs, and I also create new songs just for live. So like, the philosophy behind it is like I used to regret or not regret. I, I used to resent playing live. I didn't yeah, want yeah, to. I was right. like, why do I got to play live? This is. But people would ask me, and then eventually I was like. I'm going to just try to take this as seriously as I make a record. Yeah, yeah. So what I decided to do, actually a lot of conversations with Keith, because him and I kind of had a similar struggle. He used to play a lot of synths, but I think he was like, I don't really, my records aren't synths anymore. Mm -hmm. So why am I playing synths? And then basically we both concluded that, like if you watch a DJ, like, and I, I like a lot of DJs, this isn't a knock or anything. Like if you watch a DJ, um, they're into it, you know, they're bopping their heads, they're moving their body, mm-hmm. depending on the style, but, you know, they're doing that, and they might be just spinning a little bit or triggering a song and or three songs and pulling them in and out, you know, all that kind of stuff. But our philosophy basically in mind was also, like, if you're into it and you're fully engaged, they're going to engage with you. Yeah. So yeah. I set up the live exactly like that, just with a push two. I don't have a lot of things. I just have a push two, this little square thing that sits on my lap. Mm-hmm. And it's actually really elaborate. It's like over 400 samples, over 89 mm. tracks, and then MIDI instruments run in. And I don't run any backing tracks. And I memorize and finesse the whole set. And then I play that for you. Sure. And then there's improvised moments to keep it kind of fluid and feeling like it's organic because it is. So you're not necessarily hearing, you know, like straight renditions of what you hear on your record, but some variation of that. Uh, for the most part, but actually there are a couple tracks I just st- uh, play straight up. But because I've just de- deconstructed them for live, I what I've done is um, 
just for fun i've messed with them like almost yeah. like my own i remix my own tracks yeah yeah and i i blend them in with transitions and i blend them in with other tracks um so but you definitely know like oh that's that song that's that song mm-hmm. and then like i don't know that's a new song and then that's a weird transition and then that's an improvised part and then that's that song and that's kind of how it goes sure and some are almost identical and some are like remixed basically do, do you have i mean have you worked out sort of a at least a a structure or a blueprint to keep it moving forward uh, for live sets like that, or is it just you show up and you're going from there? I mean, or do you do you feel like you have a direction or a map? Oh, it's a general a very, map, very concise direction. Yeah. It goes. I know exactly how it's going to go. I know every second and how long the samples like will trigger. Like some are just like a half a second, some are five seconds, some yeah. are. F- two seconds somewhere you know Mm -hmm. and i know and even like the pause in between if i don't do that right the song sounds sped up right right or it's or it sounds awkward and then i i do that on purpose to force myself to engage sure and then when when people see you engage they get really into it because you're triggering all these what i think are interesting sounds and at the same time you're forced to like engage it i'm not just hitting play and walking away which there's nothing wrong with that if somebody did that and their set was awesome i don't care i'm not like (laughs) I'm not really hung up on any of those values that other people have. Um, at least I don't think so. Maybe I am. Maybe I'll find one eventually. But <laughs> right now I'm not. And so, but I also am just catering to the live idea that, hey, I want to see someone engaged. Mm-hmm. So I do that by really deconstructing my tracks to like these little tiny, tiny micro blips that I have to trigger really quickly right. for the song to work. Right. And if I stop playing, it'll stop going. Right. So and silence works. is a big part of. Oh, I love of your, silence. Yeah. Like there's a lot of negative space within yeah. the, the tracks, and and let's, let's talk a little about. You have a new record that kind of I suppose the reason you're out on the road. This new record called Gasp that I guess officially comes out in a couple a week Con- right? next week. Yeah. yeah, next Friday. So it, it's a a really great record. Thank you. I mean, uh, definitely a step um, or a continuation from some of the recent stuff where you're drawing from more classical instrumentation mm-hmm. sort of this collision of classic instrumentation and maybe a bit of like digital music concrete yep. type stuff like that yep, that's exactly right <laughs> and yeah with some little vocal splices and yeah. stuff like that as well and you know i, I was wa- wanting to ask you because i was even listening before you came up here to some of your older stuff even like the uh henry dawson yeah yeah stuff where it was much more just this barrage of uh, electronic sounds. Where is it? I mean, it sounds like you and Keith have been on a similar path, moving more towards the sort yeah. of classical side yeah. in terms of composing. I I just think, uh, to be honest, Henry Dawson, um, that was just me sort of figuring out myself, you know, and that's why I used an alias, which is actually just my grandpa's name. But um, I just was like, I don't know what I want to do yet. I, I was learning things and, like, I actually still like some of those. I don't think they're that bad. Like the Thunder of Wonder tape, I actually still think is, I got lucky and it sounds pretty good still. But <laughs> um, but the classical thing, I mean, I think Keith and I really like, when you listen to the, what we think is some interesting classical pieces, I just love the bare bones of, you know, like a cliche, but good example is Satie, you know, mm-hmm. like, uh, like, that simplicity of like just super bare bones like and you can keep a composition interesting and almost like barely anything there yeah whereas yeah. like electronic music and other stuff you can have tricks you can do all this stuff but classical music it's not better than any other music i don't think but i just i do think like 
I do appreciate the bare bones of it, one of pieces that are interesting, and I think Keith and I both really like that. And, and, and a good example that's recent is the, um, we both just talked about this, uh, the piece, the Johnny Greenwood piece for the new movie, uh, the P.T. Anderson movie, uh, I forgot what it's called. I haven't seen the movie, but oh, I heard, the, the, the Thread. Yeah, I listened uh, to the soundtrack. Yeah, yeah. I listened to the soundtrack, but I didn't. I haven't seen the Phantom movie. Phantom Thread. Phantom Thread. There it is. But the soundtrack is so, like, bare bones yeah. and, like, precise and I love that I just I love that and I think that's really where I and I just like the sounds like like I use like the staccato cello hit so much mm-hmm. Keith does too I think it's because it's like it almost feels like um like accent points that you can hang a bunch of stuff on mm-hmm. you know what I mean and yeah. I think we both are obsessed with those those ideas whereas like electronic sounds depending on the sound you know like they're wider so like it's harder to hang things on but mm-hmm. the classical instruments it's like the it's like little i think of them as micro dots that you can just hang interesting things mm-hmm. on and that's why i think that's also why i like it so it's like a little bit of both where i can construct movements and sounds just with like cello marcato staccato and be like i love this and then i start actually forming a track after i form the skeleton you sure know? yeah so that's kind of yeah, I want to I want to play a couple tracks from the record that a couple that stand out to me. One is this it's the third track on the A side. It's called R&B. And I think both these tracks, I don't know what it is, is I like how you use voice in both of these here. Kind of the spliced nature. Um, I don't know. There's there's almost an element of like sound poetry too, I think in these tracks. Um, anything that you can say before we play them? Um well, uh, just technical like the Voice in R&B is actually a pitch-shifted sample of the Japanese composer Tomomi Adachi. Mm. That uh, he actually is also, he's not sampled in Noah's record. He participated in Noah's record. But um, he does like um, electronic Max MSP like um, stuff. But he also does a lot of vocal experimentation. And when you say Noah, you're referring to Noah Krzyzewski. Sorry. Yeah, the record that you put out on. Which yeah. we'll be playing shortly. Yeah, too. sorry, I should have clarified. Okay. Uh, <laughs> but yeah, uh, I, that so like that. I that's just a slow down thing, and um, I don't know. Yeah, it's, you're totally right. I just wanted it to be this like I'm actually like I don't know. I like sad music, <laughs> and, and mm-hmm. I wanted to make this like really beautiful sad track. And R and B actually is just short for remember, like because mm. people like say that sometimes in text. I don't know. It's it's not nothing deep there, in my opinion. <laughs> it's not an acronym or yeah. anything. <laughs> well, let's play it. So this is a couple of tracks again from Seth's new record. We're gonna play R and B and follow it up with Binary Tapioca.
Okay, so we just heard Binary Tapioca and RMB, two of the tracks from the new record called Gasp, due out next week. And uh, one, of, one of the things I do like is uh, your uh, cleverness with titling. Binary Tapioca. Um, it, I don't even know if I want to know. I just like the title. <laughs> That's kind of it. For me, I just was listening to the track and I thought of Tapioca. And then I was like, but I'm using a computer. So I was like, just thinking like binary. And I was like, well, binary tapioca is a funny title. And then yeah. I just named, I literally, there's, I don't want to romanticize in any way what I, the titling process. It's just, <laughs> I'm working on tracks. And then when I start ideas, like they start off with literally the titles, like this is a shit show or fuck this, or may, I'm not supposed to say that maybe, but <laughs> just things like that. There's just, I just, use stupid titles and then like eventually they as the track evolves i'll save all the versions and um i'll change the titles too as they evolve just because i might change the whole feeling on them and then yeah basically you end up with two tracks or four tracks and then that's how binary tapioca because i liked i like tapioca i think it's a funny great food (laughs) it's just chunky it is. It's, it's chunky food. It's kind of disgusting, but kind of awesome. It's kind of like <laughs> cottage cheese, I think. It's like. True. Yeah. I mean, people, I know people hate both. I don't, but I, I understand why people do, but, you know. I can only eat cottage cheese with loads of pepper on it. Well, me too. That's I actually, a, my grandma was a farmer and she grew everything. And she used to grow, grow heirloom tomatoes. And I'm obsessed with heirloom yeah. tomatoes. Like, I'm obsessed. And she would cut up the heirloom tomatoes and dump cottage cheese and pepper oh, on it. Oh, yes. And it was so delicious. And it's mm-hmm. so now when I eat cottage cheese, even if the heirloom tomatoes aren't there, it just makes it's, me think of that. And I love it's it. It's lacking. Yeah, it <laughs> is lacking. But I think of it regardless, and I still love it. It just evokes that memory for me. But right. Anyway. Well, we were talking off mic while those tracks were playing that you mentioned. There was some other instrumentation at play with that opening piece, RMB, that was important. Kind of this, like, He's like kind of a wonky slap bass sound that you were after on on that track. I was just using, um, I picked slap bass very intentionally. Also on the track Whisper Slap, um, there's a lot of slap bass going under it that you, if you pay close attention, you can hear it sometimes. Um, And I, I just like the trope of slap bass, but I wanted to take it out of context. Then I wanted to use it in like a sad context. So Mm -hmm. I tried to do that with r&b where that's why uh it starts off with kind of like a sl- actually literally the vsd is called slap bass and i uh, not you know not the program but within the program mm-hmm. and um anyway i just yeah i use that on purpose and then that's the whole thing is about vulnerability you just i wanted the track to feel kind of goofy vulnerable and awkward but mm-hmm. kind of just beautiful at the same time as much as i could and but the slap bass was super intentional like i was like i'm going to make something with slap bass (laughs) how it started so you didn't sample the red hot chili peppers or anything to start out that's good (laughs) good good well not not that we can mention on Uh on the on mic or anything yeah (laughs) (laughs) well i wanted to play get into some of the stuff with with the label uh orange milk and certainly no strangers to this 
program. And we've been playing Orange Milk stuff for for many years. And in fact, we had Keith on. Um, goodness, that was that was a while ago. Like I'd three have to or go, four years ago, right? If not longer, yeah. I want to say maybe five years ago. Thanks for I, always helping us out. Yeah, it's it's been fun to watch kind of the the label evolve yeah. over the years and getting into some of these other areas of sound that I honestly I, I say this quite often. I mean. There are definitely things with that Orange Milk puts out that I would not normally listen to. Just some of the sounds and styles, but I always want to listen to them because I want to hear what you guys are putting out. So, so like pushing pushing my own listening habits into new directions. And I feel like as a label, it seems like you two are also doing that, kind of discovering yeah. these this like little known artists from Japan or something and yeah. releasing their material. I think it really, when we started the label, so like you know as you know like in midwest america there's a lot of like diy tape scenes i mean they're all over the world but i i would say there's a lot here too Mm -hmm. and um when we started we just kind of realized fairly quickly i don't want to say well i'll just explain myself we realized very quickly that it was kind of like the same people rotating from label to label and there's nothing it's not a critique it's just an observation and we were like you know I would like to release other things Mm -hmm. like I'm sure there's like communities releasing interesting stuff that isn't that we're not tapping into. Let's try to tap into that. Let's, let's just go find stuff that we find interesting. Mm -hmm. Even if it, we don't even know if we like it. If we like, if we're compelled and we're listening to it, that might mean it's interesting. Right. right. And so we pushed ourselves. I don't want to say like we are some like tastemakers. Like I feel like that's like a ridiculous suggestion. I, I just feel like we wanted to be like, we. Re, I, I very distinctly remember the discussion I had with we Keith and I have where we're like, I don't think I want to, there's enough tape labels releasing kind of the same crew. Mm-hmm. And the world probably doesn't need another one. <laughs> right, you know? right. Not that I love what all those labels do and did because they influenced me and Keith quite a bit. And that's wonderful. I just thought, and that really we we're like you know we knew footwork was going on at the time this was when like you know like tech life was just hitting and dj rashad and was real big and we were like man we'd love to have something to do with footwork we'd love to uh see what else is going on and to be really honest like non-white communities and we we pushed for that a little bit as much as we could and um that's why kind of took that direction and I am with you like even I found myself really digging stuff I used to I would have not noticed before right and that was just through a lot of SoundCloud digging and just reading things or checking out blogs and all 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 the above word of mouth and like Mm -hmm. I just I still do that it created a habit in me where now I just check out everything like I'm watching social media like a hawk when it regards to music like yeah anybody anything i'll like and like if a tape comes out that's interesting i'll look up who all did it and then i'll find what what world they're in and then i'll look that up yeah, and then yeah. i'll dig in there and we both kind of do that and that's how really this has come about at this time you know we just like even that ilu tape i gave you that was just you know argentinian like sort of like bizarro footwork scene happening right, there right. you know and they're releasing great stuff and that's how that came about yeah i mean and now uh, kind of a little bit of a first is in sort of a an anthology of an artist who's been around for a while this one of the latest things he put out is this noah krashevsky uh, release 
and he's somebody whose work dates back, you know, to the nineteen early seventies, right? Yep. And um, tell us about what's featured on this new one because this kind of spans, I, I believe, like thirty years of his work. Some of his, uh, some of his key works. I don't know. How would you define that? I don't. I wouldn't say. Well, I'm being really honest. Um, some of my favorite work by him is on Sadik, and we're not allowed to touch that. So. Yeah. Uh, other things that released are on Pogus and a uh, few other labels that I, sorry, I don't remember. Um, but uh, like Strategic Defense Initiative, I think is like iconic track by him. And that was released in, I think, 81 or 83. Okay. Um, but, you know, I think that was like just a blatant precursor to modern computer music. Right. Um, but then there was the other tracks in there. Um, like uh, Lisa Barnard would do, I think I'm saying that right. Um, uh, that was like a more recent thing that was released on, uh, uh, I think that was also on Pogus. Oh, I forgot what the record was called, Something yeah. Asleep. But, but yeah, the date is, that came out in 2008. Yeah, so yeah I'm just trying to give you an span, uh, idea of span. So yeah. it's between like 81 and now, basically, and right. it's all non sodic like, uh, tracks and then there's a new track on there that he sent me Bell DeJour and he was like he, we're friends and we talk quite a bit actually through email and uh, he sends me works he's been doing um, I try not to be too pushy but when he sent me that one I was like can we release this <laughs> <laughs> and he let me which was I thought was really generous of him because you know I don't know he's to me like an icon right but, right um, but yeah, it's just a lot of stuff. He has stuff before that too. I mean, he has stuff. Yeah, all the way. I think into. I mean, he did a collaboration with John Cage. Right, right. Um, that's like this ambient piece that he did. But that was like, I want to say late sixties. I'm not I, sure. Yeah. I thought but it was early seventies. Is it early seventies? But I'm just going by like the little blurb that There's I read. There's so much yeah. I don't remember. Right. But I have, you know, all the records. I just. There's a funny story about that I could tell you offline, but <laughs> it's how I got all his records is a most endearing thing that ever happened to yeah. me. So anyway. Well, let's play something, and I'm going to let you, because I know you mentioned it earlier, you mentioned the title. How do you say this again? Uh, Tomomi Adachi, uh, Precise. I think that just means I edited that track for this record, because Noah has, the original piece is long, and we couldn't, we would have had to surrender the quality of the pressing, so he edited it for us because I so desperately wanted to include that track. Oh, okay. Yeah. And so he was so nice. He's like the nicest person anyone will ever meet. I know people say that sounds generic, but there's no pretense with him. Like he's yeah. so to me accomplished artist who's very, very talented, but he is the least pretentious person I've mm-hmm. ever met where it's like, it's just incredible mm-hmm. to even be in his presence. You just feel comfortable. And, and where is he based? Is he in New York? New York. New York. He lives near Times Square. Oh, does he? Okay. <laughs> yeah. Interesting. He's been there forever. So. Yeah. Well, we're going to play this piece again. This is uh, Noah Krushevsky. <laughs> ことことばかわすいだった。たのことこと。ま。ま。ま。ま。ま。ま。ま。ま。ま。ま。ま。ま。ま。ま。ま。ま。ま。ま。ま。ま。ま。ま。ま。ま。ま。ま。ま。ま
Thank you. 
just finished up a block of orange milk stuff some of the more recent titles all of which are lp titles by the way you've been kind of pumping out more lps in like the last year or two i'd say yeah we make more money so we (laughs) can afford (laughs) them i like the fact that you are still offering kind of both formats and sometimes even cd as well yeah with like the giant claw record you actually did put that on all three formats yeah my record too we did cd but that's to be honest just for promo like yeah people but yeah we just do yeah the mixed reason is i think really honestly like unknown artists sometimes they don't sell and um even though the record's fantastic and the risk is too high on an lp so the lps you know when we know it's going to be like in demand or hopefully that it will or we feel the music is just so incredible we are like we have to honor the music right, right not that a tape is not honoring it that's not true at all but it's just it's an unfortunate reality of money you know just, right you well there's to. a certain i mean let's face it there there's some the the financial part of it elevates its status to some degree like it on, like it's more of an official format i don't and I mean I, and i know i hate that tape. too like in a way i hate it in a way mm-hmm. like i wish it, we weren't relegated to that perception but we yeah, are and, right and um we also play into it in a way but if we if we had our way we would just do whatever the artist wanted so if yeah. the artist wanted an lp we'd give it to him and we wish we could get there someday right now we have to be a little more selective and authoritarian authoritarian in what we decide right. like a lot of artists do request it. And we're like, we just can't afford it. So right. right. And, yeah. And like, if plus, money weren't an issue. Right? Yeah. Yeah, exactly. And then like, and plus it just, you have to admit, like if no one knows who they are, it's such a huge risk and mm-hmm. it's a huge loss. And Keith and I don't make any money personally from orange milk really. So like it's, everything goes back into it. So you're really, you might be risking future production on it. Right. And right. you have to take that in consideration. Like how much do you want to risk? And, then if we have other promises going and then something tanks, then we have to delay it. And then that's a bummer to that artist. Right, and right. And you just play that game all the time. Right, right. Well, we should mention what we played in that set. We played the, the closing few tracks are some Euglacine from a record called uh, Sharp Time. And I know I've seen his stuff kind of pop up here and there. He's put out some tapes and things on other labels. Um, what's the what's the story of, of his work? Um, well... I know he's he's been around for a while. He put he put a tape out on Finery that I loved. Um, uh, we also put out a tape for him before this LP that we really liked. Um, and to be really honest, I can't think of other labels, but I know he has at least two other tapes mm-hmm. out. And um, but uh, you know, I always loved his stuff. The tape we did for him did really well, and uh, he sent this LP to be really honest was supposed to come out on a different label that didn't work out. Um, he sent me the record and I, I loved it. I was, and it was, a. I would say he, 
I'm hesitant to say he got better. I would say he's incredibly talented, infinite more than me. But but what I'm saying is like this record to me felt really realized. It was mm-hmm. like thought out because he's usually just those like smooth jazz, like experimental jamming, which is awesome and I love. But this one was more minimal. It was more deliberate. It was like a th- thought out and it's a lot of sound design in it that mm-hmm. I loved. And I was like, this is like kind of like you sort of coming to. Mm-hmm. And I thought it was definitely worthy of an LP. I was like, this is to me somewhat iconic. The same could be said for the artists that we played prior to that. You put out a tape release and now you have a full length out called In a Silent Way. I'm talking about the artist called Nico Nikoi. It's just Nico Nico. Nico Nico. Okay. I was, yeah. ah, all right. Uh, we played a track called Rendered from that one. Gorgeous yep. piece. And I, again, I, I suppose the same thing. Enjoyed the, the tape submit yep. something like this that's worthy of, of the vinyl release this is kind of like a slightly different story with him the tape Keith and I were like you know super into and that was a really that tape did really well like a like a lot of people really liked that tape and we are uh, as soon as the tape did really well we were really eager to hear new material from him so we actually offered him an LP like mm. pretty quickly we're like whatever you do next you know we got dibs if, if you're interested yeah and then and we to try to cement that we offer an LP like you know sometimes we pull that move I'm sure it's a typical move and um, <laughs> um and then um but when he sent it to us I think because Keith and I are so ADD sometimes and it was so mellow and planned that we were like we were actually slightly reluctant on it and we had some critiques and I, I was like on the fence I was like it's good but I have to listen to this again and Keith and I went back and forth we sent him some honest thoughts then he revised it a little bit but then he kind of sold us on it and then after he sold us on it i listened to it again and i and i agreed with him and then we followed through the sea so it was a little different than stanny um the yugo scene it was he had to convince us kind of i mean we weren't going to back out on it but we were just kind of like we didn't feel the same way about the record as we did the tape but over time the record i became obsessed with it before even got pressed I kept listening to it, and the more I listened to it, the more obsessed I got with it, which was a really good sign. Right. It's a grower. Yeah, it is. And it's really – now I think it's – anytime I put it on, I love it. It's fantastic. So I'm glad that he convinced us, really. Right, right. Uh, Giant Claw from Soft Channel, Keith's most recent full length. We don't need to talk about him. No, just kidding. (laughs) (laughs) Kidding, Keith, if you're listening out there. Yes. But, uh, yeah, I – I love the the new direction that he took on that record too. Kind of the classical elements that we had mentioned yeah. before, um, and then we started off with that Noah Krzyzewski piece, which was really really great. Um, we're going to continue on now, actually, because we're already like we're hitting our stride here. You know, getting into uh, some of this newer stuff, and thought we'd play a block of stuff of the LPs, and then I thought maybe we'd do one more here of kind of an artist that to me. One of the standout artists who has become one of the standout artists in your roster, which we're talking about Food Man here. Yes. One of my favorites. I mean, just great, great, really playful, really bizarre music. And uh, I thought we'd start this next set with him and then get back to some of the other newer tapes that you put out. But uh, Food Man, how, what's the story of Food Man and his connection to Orange Milk? Um, he was discovered on SoundCloud forever and a half ago by Keith. Um, and he was kind of nobody truly nobody had like a hundred followers or something and Keith was like this is really good and he sent it to me and um it reminded me of like Cavalotti's and this is forever ago this is the first tape 
and uh, we were both excited and Keith contacted him and, you know, and then um, to give you some background, uh, I don't try not to, um, I can speak Japanese. I grew up in Japan. Yeah. So him and I became friends. We started talking on video chat and then after the first tape came out, we just kind of became friends and he, we just kept releasing for him and we just kind of like, he just kind of became like a mainstay almost. Right. I, I'm so happy how popular he's become, but for the longest time he wasn't. And it was just like a really good friendship. And, yeah. you know, I mean, we were releasing things. And then by the time they say LP came out, you know, it was just a big deal. So that's kind of the story. And like, we're still really good friends. Um, I think he has a new one coming out this June, I think on revenge. Oh, okay. Uh, I haven't heard it yet, but I'm sure it's going to be amazing. Yeah. So we're going to play the lead track from his most recent record. What's the name of the track again? I can't remember. Uh, are we doing the first one? Yeah, we got the first one. Uh, Bay Bay featuring Taigen Kawabe from Boningen. Yes. So here is Food Man. してる、してる。まるでアイドルラップの中のようなノサイボの経済学。そのアイの国にぶっ込みには、まもくねのライマスコつけるような自分に対してのモーサポート、こい。アイドルコラージュ寸前。一体一体一体最大者のバイタリ
埋没していくのですそう嘘つきになりそうな自分にバイバイ自分の部屋の中で音に耳を澄ませてバイバイ
right, we just finished up that set with a track from Machine Girl, who you're actually playing some shows with right now. Actually, yeah, the show tomorrow. that we're talking about yeah. in uh, Minneapolis. Yep. Did you play? Is it Chicago or back in Ohio? With uh, Columbus, I played with them in Giant Claw just Sunday. You then, did okay. Yeah, yeah. What's the scoop with Machine Girl? Is it a is it like a duo or what? It is a duo now. Originally, I think it was just Matt, um, and uh, they have a tape called Gemini that's like more electronic beats. But this new one is basically like, uh, it's just basically like a digital hardcore kind of. Yeah. And um, I don't know. I, I I love this tape of theirs. And live, I feel like they're kind of bringing contrast with like sort of like like i don't know it's there's like a con like there's there's um hardcore has always been really masculine and i feel like they're sort of bringing like f- feminine tropes and also literally like matt uh cross dresses and wears a dress while he plays and i think there's this like and they also cover sade and on the live set and mm-hmm. i think it's just bringing that sort of like element of trans and sort of like that kind of anger into it which i love it's kind of um i think of it as sort of like a femininity that's angry you know what mm-hmm. i mean instead of like just kind of broish angry right, hardcore, right. which doesn't interest me in any way yeah yeah <laughs> so yeah I, di- I did get the digital hardcore feel too in the tracks that i've listened yeah. to you know kind of harkening back to like atari teenage riot types type stuff but with maybe a more uh sense of humor too yeah yeah there's (laughs) it's it's, yeah there's like vapor pop elements in it but live there's always aesthetics that i noticed and i i can't speak for them they might say that's not at all what we're going for but at least when i visually watch it that's how i take yeah that's what i take away sure another artist that um i think you've worked with before padna correct Yeah. yeah another new release here and I really have liked the stuff that I've heard from him over the years. I yes. think he's a great composer, uh, cool arranger of sounds. And this um, this is the first time I've heard this tape. And uh, it's a good one. It's called Remisa Trupa Suite Volume mm-hmm. 2. Yes, Volume 2. And you were saying that this is kind of your go-to of late mm-hmm. uh, when you're doing work, that you listen to this Padna one, like, mm-hmm. to yeah. get in the zone. Yeah, I do. I, I It's just, it's a fl- it flows. It's like a bunch of micro pieces that, to me if you listen to it just sounds like one giant piece kind of and uh i love this one there's the one before this um is less i think experimental the volume one um it is just dry midi composition but this one he starts to do like weird mouth sounds mm-hmm. and like like uh, weird affected vocal sounds within the dry midi composition which i love uh, that kind of thing. Mm-hmm. So it's really, appe- but it's also really just pleasant, but experimental enough where it keeps my interest. And um, yeah, uh, he is going to, we're going to release the third volume of the Remissa Trupa Suite uh, probably this year. I just got the, f- he's almost finished cop version like last week. And it's really great where he described it as like a high school orchestra trying to experiment with jazz music on MIDI. And like, it sounds exactly like that. And it's awesome. (laughs) I'm very excited, but it's the last installment of this, which is basically, I think backwards for like whatever program he uses, which is garage. It's not garage band, but it's something like that. We're real basic 
software it's not fancy at all and he just writes music in it and then reverse the name and that's okay. why they're called it's just basically him messing with a program okay yeah so and then another recent one um is this ilu record which you yeah. did did the artwork for which you said you're trying to get back in uh to lend some lend uh, keith a hand yes. with the workload i can never be as amazing as he is visually but uh I'm, we just have so many releases and I've been practicing and he's been like a pseudo professor, like giving me advice and like, <laughs> that sucks. Try again. basically. <laughs> and, uh, but it's been good. I feel like I got a lot better and I, yeah, this is the first cover I finished that we both approved that would make the cut. And, um, but yeah, uh, Ailu is, uh, she has, she's part of the Argentinian, like sort of experimental footwork scene. Uh, I don't know if you remember the El Murky release we did. He runs a label mm. called Abyss in Argentina, okay. which is like, like kind of like break beats and footwork, but experimental. Uh, I think they're all heavily influenced by food man, if I'm being honest. And, mm-hmm. um, but yeah, Ailu is, um, this new one is called Walden. Um, I love it. It's a personal favorite of mine. Um, I think uh, I wish I could have promoted it more. Uh, I tried, but I think it's just hard to push unknown sometimes. But uh, it's a minimal, like, footwork uh, album, and it's just fantastic. I think she's so good at, like, shifting, like, minimalism, like, tracks where it feels like not a lot change. Not a lot of change happens, but if you listen to it, it gets really interesting without any bursts or anything which mm-hmm. i admire because i so rely on bursts <laughs> it almost feels like cheating but she doesn't and that's in my mind that's how i think of it but yeah yeah i highly recommend that one well we are kind of getting down here with with your t- you got to be on on your way here at some point and we, i don't want to we could be we could play records all night yeah. we really could but um i thought we would wrap up with another track from your new record but i thought before we did that we could just maybe talk about kind of things that are happening with Orange Milk, and you've mentioned uh, that the tours are going to be going on. In fact, you're heading over with Keith, uh, Giant Claw, to Japan. Yeah, that. we're going to Japan in June, uh, probably from about the 8th. I'm not sure. The booking agent said about from the 8th to 15th or 16th, maybe even later. Yeah, we're doing a bunch of shows with Food Man and all Orange Milk artists like CVN, Toilet Status, Doc S, Coil Simon, um and maybe a few others, but yeah, it's just going to be an orange milk tour, basically. That's so. got to be pretty exciting. I mean, yeah, it's it's behind. insane. Yeah, <laughs> to connect excited. with these people and re- like yeah. meeting people face to face. Yeah, and, and it's going to be it's going to be very memorable for me. Uh, you know, when it happens, it's going to be. I don't know what else to say. It's I'm beyond excited, and when I get there, I'm going to be like, this is so overwhelming. <laughs> right. Right. Yeah. <laughs> so. Well, what else is in the pipeline for the uh, for the label beyond what I mean? All the stuff that we've played so far is out there; it's readily mm-hmm. available. Uh, Seth's record will be out next week, and it's up for pre order and everything. Yeah. So by the time this airs, you can get up, it. You can get yeah. your hands on it. Um, we have a uh, new batch coming out soon with Ross Birdwise, who's from Montreal, uh, Honda from New York, um, the Tropical Interface. Uh, he, I don't know if he wants to meet, identify him, but. Uh, his, re- his tapes really good. Those are all tapes, and also a EQI Tracksman collaboration tape. Um, and LP wise, we're doing a new LP and tape for Cola. Um, two different releases: one on tape, one on LP. A Cola from used to be on Software. 
um uh there's uh i'm not sure what else there's a look at my queue but yeah (laughs) that's those are more like pending for sure there's other ones too that i'm not thinking of which i feel bad about so anyone who's listening who has a release coming out and i forgot i'm sorry yeah you can send me a a memo afterwards or an email and i'll just put it in the write-up all (laughs) these records will also be yeah i mean it's a long list but that's that's the immediacy so that's what's on my mind i think is what's coming sure. really soon yeah so. and things change with records yeah. and all that anyway yeah. so but you can always check out uh, orange milk stuff i mean through all the usual channels you're on social yes. media there's the band camp there's the website i'll link all that up so people can uh, track down information about all of these releases and what have you but um we're going to get into a track that you mentioned from the new one this is your favorite track yeah. from the record now <laughs> you haven't found anyone that has um agreed with not yeah, necessarily no agreed. agreed no people like people seem to like uh you know uh the ones you liked and you know but this track i personally love i just really like it and when i do it live i also really enjoy it too so. yeah and, and i will admit i do like this track all right thank you <laughs> <laughs> thanks well seth uh thanks so much for you know taking a little detour to come to mankato before heading to minneapolis That's it's my great. pleasure Thank you. Yeah, so here is Seth again with the track. You're going to have to int- with the title again. I can't remember. Uh, kimochi, which actually just means feelings in Japanese. Okay, so here is uh, new stuff again from Seth's new record. Chin. Two, 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 two
圈，圈，圈。
this is going to bring this show to an end here. Behind me right now, you're hearing another one from that Nico Nico release in a silent way. This is a piece called Space Inside Your Head. After the track Kimochi, when we signed off with Seth, you heard a bunch of mostly newer tracks from the Orange Milk catalog following that, including stuff from Honda and Mesh, Darren Keen, Velf, Little Retina. We finished up with something from Cream Juice, which again is Seth and Keith's duo together. Something I meant to ask Seth about, but I dropped the ball on that. Hoping there will be some more cream juice material down the road. Well, thanks Seth once again for driving out of his way to stop by Mankato to hang out for a bit and discuss his work. You can order Seth's new album along with most of the other releases played throughout the show by visiting Orange Milk website or their Bandcamp page. You can also find more information and links to the various releases played on the show by heading to our website at freeformfreakout.com. If you have any questions or comments, you can always get in touch with me at fffreakout at hotmail.com. Otherwise, you can check back in a couple of weeks for a new episode. Do have some plans for some more features in the works, so please check back and stay tuned for that as always thanks so much for listening